The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Good morning. You all set to go? It's like you don't know me. Are you set to go? All right. Okay. That's good. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. Can I share a concern with you as we get going here? I'm going to anyway, but uh, too many of us uh, profess faith in Jesus Christ, but don't practically believe that he is as powerful as he seems to be when we read the Bible. You get it? Then you say it again. I mean, I mean, we have this, this challenge that, that Jesus just seems to be, he's so powerful when we read the gospel, yet we don't seem to have that playing out in our lives on a day-to-day basis. I mean, if we did believe he was that powerful, wouldn't you think that we would pray differently? Don't you think that we would serve differently? Don't you think that we would interact with one another differently if, if his power were being manifested in us the way it's manifested in the New Testament? We would, we would sense in our lives this undeniable presence of Christ if we really believe this. But are we really there? You see my concern? We not just go through the motions, that we not just say that we believe this, but we, we actually believe it. And beyond believing it, we actually experience it going on in our lives. And in today's text, Luke 6, uh, Jesus uh, does several things. He prays a pretty intense time of prayer. He picks 12 uh, men to be apostles. Um, he heals a whole bunch of people. And, and, and then he's going to go into some teaching that we're actually going to look at in our next message. But in each case, in the praying, in the picking of the 12, in the healing of the people, and in the teaching that he's got, it's, it's all power. There's so, there's so much power being unleashed in each of these things. And so I'm really going to press us this morning to consider whether or not we're experiencing that power for ourselves because I hope that we believe it's actually available. Do you believe that? It's actually available uh, to us. And so I'm going to ask you, what exactly you believe firmly about these things? Do you believe firmly in these things? And by the end, I'm actually going to ask you whether you're going to See God for some healing in your own lives to respond to the word that we're actually looking at today. I'm going to ask you to respond and you could be asking God right now. God, do you want me to respond to this? I'm going to hear your word, but help me to actually respond appropriately to what I'm hearing. I hope you pray that every Sunday, but I hope you'll pray it uh, with me uh, in a moment. So let's read the text together. You'll get a sense of where we're going. Uh, This is Luke chapter 6. And um, I'm reading from uh, verses 12 through 19. 
In these days, he, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And I pray that you know that power uh, today. So let's actually pray right now and ask God to show us that. Uh, Father, we are so um, grateful to be here again today, and we don't want to take anything uh, for granted Father, um, you've blessed us by bringing us together here. Thank you. Uh, We look um, at your word now. As we look at your word right now, God, I pray that you would speak to us. And God, that you would compel us by your spirit to respond as we ought to. With joyful obedience, with trust, with faith. Knowing that these are the words of life. That this is the power of God. So Father, thank you. Again, for this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's start here with three questions um, uh, that we're going to put in front of us today. Uh, do you believe firmly in the power of prayer? That's the first one. Uh, do you believe uh, firmly in the power of prayer? Now, you'll notice in verse 12 that Jesus spends an entire night praying in advance of selecting the 12 who are going to be his apostles. He spends an entire night praying. I don't, I'm not going to do a survey right now, but I'm sure tempted to. Um, uh, How many people have ever, not taking a survey, but I'm going to ask the question, how many people have ever spent like an entire night uh, praying? I know there's probably one or two who would make the rest of us seem so lame. And that's probably the reason why I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Because there are some people for whom this is like such a great passion of theirs. But for most of us, uh, this would seem so outrageous and beyond the norm that we just couldn't pull it off. I know me, uh, my mom's here, and she could testify to this, mom and dad both. Um, I just so love sleeping, I might actually consider it to be an idol in my life. I, I mean, I was a professional sleeper from childhood. When, it, when, when I went to kindergarten, it was half-day kindergarten every day, and the big dilemma my mom had was breaking me of either my morning or afternoon nap, because I still had two at five years of age, and if I had my druthers, I'd still have two, by the way, uh, going on. I love sleeping. So to me, I read this, and I just go, like, how does someone even do that? How do you go through your entire day doing what you do during the daylight hours and then have enough left at the end of that to pray through the entire night? Not because you're so upset about something, not because I couldn't sleep, therefore I prayed, but because you have this thing that you're trying to decide. I'm just trying to decide this. And I think it's important enough that I would forego eight hours of sleeping in order to bring this to God. 
mean, are you with me that this sounds outrageous and beyond the norm? But Jesus evidently, because this is what we're going after, he evidently believed firmly in the power of prayer. Would you agree? He believed firmly in the power of prayer, and you would have to if you were to do what he did. I mean, I've, I've, forget the all night of prayer. Again, I'm going to ask a survey question, but get you to not raise your hands. I mean, how many of us have trouble filling 10 minutes with prayer? Maybe I will have you raise your hands. You know what I'm saying? This is tough stuff. This is advanced discipleship. Okay, this isn't discipleship 101. This is like I'm looking at this going like I'm not even there. I've been walking with Jesus for 35 years. I'm not even there. Now, part of it, of course, is that we're confused about prayer. That we have some mistaken notions about it, and that's why it's actually so hard for us. Maybe you'll resonate with some of this. Uh, So often, and this is part of the confusion, it's like a shopping list we make before heading out the door to do some errands. And so we make this Saturday. Do you make Saturday lists? You make a Saturday list. I got to get all this done on Saturday. So you make a list and you're going to get through the list, shopping list, chores list, whatever it is. And we perceive that our prayer life with God is kind of like that, that we've got a pile of concerns and these things going on. And I need to talk to God about this. And so we make out this whole list and we know we ought to be praying. And so we pray through the list and we think we got it all going on because we got through the list. But at the end of it, we still kind of feel a little bit empty. And we certainly wouldn't describe the bringing of a list to God as being something that's powerful. Yet there it is. That's normally what we do. Now, Jesus here, he certainly has some item that he's wanting to bring before the Lord. He's praying before he selects the apostles. He's not seeking in this time. And this is the problem with the list. It's kind of like, well, these are the things I want. These are the things I need. In other words, what we put on the list is our will. True? I make the list for Saturday. It's my will that I get all these things done on Saturday. That's why I created the list. And so when I make a list that I'm going to take to God, really what I'm saying is, God, here's the list. This list is my will. Be awfully awesome if you could answer me according to my will. You seeing some of the problem here? Again, why maybe our prayers are uh, are a little bit powerless? Jesus isn't seeking to impose his will on the father. He's brought, you'll notice in the text, he's brought all these disciples, all these people that are following him. There are more than 12 disciples. There's a whole pile of people who've now decided I'm going to follow Jesus. And so all of those disciples are there. And and it isn't like, I don't think that Jesus brought his list to the father and said, here's the 12 I'm thinking about God. Uh, Father, would you, would you uh, affirm my list? He's brought all of his disciples there. He's on the mountain. He's praying. And God reveals to him. It's God's will that he's seeking. He's seeking the Father's will for those who are going to be apostles. He's aligning. Such a great word. He's aligning his will with the Father's will. Such a critical part of the praying. Here's John Stott on this up on the screen. John Stott says, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon the Father or for bending His will to ours, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to His. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation on the theme 
your will be done. Now, if we don't get this, we're going to miss out on the power that God has for us in prayer. And I don't want to belabor the point, but I want us to truly understand what's being said here. And I I think some of us are in this, this crazy cycle of praying that's not helpful to us at all in trying to find the power. So let's, let's take a look at this. Actually, I call this the cycle of prayer futility. And some of you are on this cycle. Most of us, I would wager to say, are on this cycle somewhere. So let's start with this, a cycle of prayer futility. Uh, we ask, or I ask, for what I want. I ask for what I want. How many of you pray? How many of you have prayed in the last 24 hours for something you want? Just raise your hand. This one you can raise your hand for. All right? That's what we do. We go to prayer. God, I, I, I need this. I, I want this. I want this to happen in my life. And so we, we ask for what we want. And, and listen, there's no condemnation at that. It's not wrong to ask for the things that are on your heart. You have not because you ask not, the scriptures say. And so that's not a problem. But again, I want to align my will with the Lord's. And so I'm, I'm ready to lay that down. But, but often we don't. And so I ask for what I want. But then what happens when I, I don't receive what I asked for? Now, can I tell you, God always answers prayer. There's never a prayer that God hasn't answered. It's just that sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is wait, not now. But it's not always yes. He's not just giving us everything we ask for. Uh, Praise the Lord that he's not giving us everything we ask for. So I ask for what I want. I don't receive what I ask for. And so sometimes, can I just say that there's disappointment at that? You ever been there? God, you didn't come through for me. God, uh, why aren't you hearing my prayers? Uh, Don't you care about me, God? Uh, Don't you love me? Why does God hate me? Why has he forgotten about me? That's, That's the end of disappointment that happens over and over and over again. And remember, we're in a cycle. I ask for what I want. I don't get the thing that I asked for. And therefore, there's disappointment. I'm, I'm locked in this cycle. And in time, this is what can happen. I simply give up. I'm not going to ask God anymore. And our prayer life ends up just wilting on the vine. It just dies in its place. And then we can find ourselves going days and weeks and months and wonder, when was the last time I even talked to him? such a bad place for us to be in but then if we're if we're really believers we'll have the spirit stirring in us and maybe we'll hear a sermon or we'll read something our conscience gets the better of us and and then we think i think maybe i'll maybe i'll try again i know i ought to be praying I know I was disappointed last time. I know it seems like God didn't come through for me. Maybe he'll come through this time. And so I ask him again. God, hear my prayer. This is the thing I'm thinking of. I I want these things to happen in my life. And we pray to him again. But the cycle begins again because I do the exact same things. Maybe you've heard this expression before. I do the exact same thing expecting a different result. The very definition of crazy. 
Why am I expecting something different other than I'm going to fall back into the cycle of I ask, I don't get the way I want it. I am disappointed with God. I shut it all down. And then I get into a place where I ought to be praying again. And round and round I go. And it's just absolute futility to be praying in this way. And it is completely devoid of the power of God. So it's no wonder we feel the way we do. You see, I go back to the asking. This is where the cycle needs to be broken. I go back to the asking without thinking about, and this is John Stott's word, without thinking about the alignment. That I need to be aligned with God. I need to be seeking his will, not mine. And the only way we ever get aligned with anyone, any person we know, any Uh, relationship we have is to actually have relationship that's the only way i have alignment the real problem with this cycle is that it treats god like a customer service representative you know like you have you're dissatisfied with something you bought something at a nameless store that has a customer service counter i don't know walmart is a good example Or you call Rogers or Bell because something's wrong with your cell phone because something's always wrong with your cell phone. And you call them and you have to work yourself up to it. And so you call the customer service people, right? Do you have any relationship with those people? We have no relationship with them. You're just bringing them your problem. I I need you to hear me. Tell me that we don't treat God this way. You're just my customer service representative. I don't really have a relationship with you. And the the challenge with, with that is this, because I know this and I've done this. Because I'm somewhat of a passionate person and I I can be somewhat demanding and I want things. And so like if I call up my cell provider and I'm talking to customer service and I don't like something that's gone right, I actually use the anonymity of the relationship. I actually use the fact that I'm not in relationship with this person to treat them with contempt when they're not giving me the thing I want. Oh yeah? Well, let me talk to your manager. As if God has a manager, right? You can't pull that on him. He doesn't have any manager. Well, I'm going to take my business somewhere else. Yeah, who else are you going to pray to? But that's what we do. We get angry. We treat with contempt. We don't honor the relationship that's there with our God because we're treating him like this anonymous customer service representative. It's a tragedy. It saps the power out of our prayer life. So no matter, listen, and so so this is where we're going. Prayer depends on the relationship. Prayer depends on the relationship. You're not going to experience the power of prayer unless you're in relationship. You might say, well, that's a challenge for me. And I don't think I could attain to these lofty heights that Jesus is setting, this example that he's setting for us. I don't think I can achieve that. And see, the really great news is that, is that wherever you're at in your relationship, whatever it's like right now, your relationship with the Lord, all you need to do, just the only thing you need to do is take one step forward in that. We're not trying to achieve to the lofty heights of what Jesus is necessarily uh, laying out for us right here. But, but we, we can take some step. We can make some progress here today. We're not looking for an all-night-of-prayer kind of commitment. We're we're looking for just a commitment to make it better than it is now. No giant steps necessary. Just a baby step will do. Because I need to grow in this relationship naturally. Prayer is one-on-one communion with God. 
prayer flows out of a relationship that you have with, with someone who you count as a loved one. It implies intimacy and knowledge of the other person. I mean, here's the thing that I would have you do, because I, I, we're trying to get us to the place where we understand the relationship we need to have with God, so we'll have the power in prayer. But, but let, me, let me just have you think about the closest relationship, the closest human relationship that you have right now. Think about that. Maybe it's a close friend, or maybe it's a, a brother or a sister, or maybe it's, it's the, uh, your best friend, your BFF. Maybe it's that person. Are you guys allowed to say that? I think it's more of a girl thing. But think about that relationship. Think about the conversations you have with that person. Cheryl and I got this wacky thing going on. We're 25 years married now, so it takes time to get to this place. We have this wacky thing going on where you know, she might ask me a question on, on, on Monday. And I don't answer her. There's no conversation between us. But on Thursday, I answer her and she knows exactly what I'm saying. Does that happen to you? Or, or, or she's, this is crazy. This happens. She's thinking the question. She's thinking the question. And I say the answer in conversation. Has that happened to you? That's crazy. Creepy even. It's crazy. But it comes with 25 years of being together and knowing each other and having relationship. And that kind of, that kind of relationship you can have with a friend or a brother or sister or, or a spouse uh, or, or a parent. Is, it, it's that free flowing and I know them and we complete each other's sentences. And that's what God wants you to have with him. That's where the power is. That's the power of, of intimate human relationships. And it's the power of our relationship with God. That he and I would converse in prayer in a way that he knows my thoughts and I know his. That that he completes my sentences and I complete his. That's the kind of prayer that has power attached to it. That relationship wasn't built in a day the human one that you have that's so intimate and close like that it wasn't built in a day you had to make an effort relationships are built on common interest on on respect for one another on time and shared experiences and no less your relationship with the father when you choose that path to have that to cultivate that so you're on the path to believing firmly in the power of prayer so I commend that to you. And how about this? The second question. Do you also believe firmly in the place of God's people in his plan? I mean, God's power flows through his people. I hope you understand that. After praying and having heard from the father, verse 13 now. Again, um, verse 12. In the days he went out to the mountain to pray all night he continued in prayer to God, verse 13. And, and when day came, he called his disciples, that's all the followers, and chose from them 12 whom he named uh, apostles. And then Luke names them for us in verses 14 through 16. I won't read through the list of names again. And I could just say this about the 12. There's probably a sermon in each one or at least one sermon that could cover all 12 of these names and show you the awesome ways that God uh, uses different kinds of people. And really, that's the that's the part of the big message that we have here is that this is a pretty diverse group. I mean, this is a, a pretty eclectic group of people, but more importantly, as we read the list of, of the 12, 
uh, which make no mistake, it was 12 for a reason, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 who will judge over Israel, that in some sense what Jesus is doing here in a prophetic sense is he's picking new leaders for Israel. He's, he's saying, God has firmly rejected the existing leadership, and I'm picking these guys that no one else would pick, and that's the secret to it. If, you, if you're going to write one word down about this list, it is this. They are unlikely leaders. They are unlikely leaders. These aren't the kind of people we would pick. And yet God does so. Why? So that his power is seen in them, in what they're going to accomplish for him. God wants his power on display, not, not our power. He wants to receive the glory for all of this. Not, not to give us the glory, not to make a name for ourselves, but, but it's the name of Jesus Christ that we're lifting high in this place. Amen. And so there is this great multitude of people that have gathered, they're not necessarily committed to Jesus yet, but they're, but they're listening. And, you know, in any Sunday gathering, anytime we get together, there's kind of like all of these three kinds of people that are part of this scene in Luke 6. There's, there's a great multitude of people who are not yet committed, but they're happy to hear the word of God and they're still checking it out. And some are believers and maybe some are just getting to the place where they want to become a believer. But there's a multitude of people who are here who aren't quite part of this yet. And then there are disciples, they're followers of Christ. They've identified themselves. They've said, you know what, we're actually part of this. And we've identified with Christ. We've identified with the church. We're, we're in lockstep. We're committed to worshiping Christ and walking with Christ and working for Christ. We're, we're part of this thing. Uh, the crowd and the disciples and then these apostles are chosen out. And uh, the word apostle, um, here's a good definition. Especially appointed messengers with a specific role or mission as direct representatives of Jesus in the world. Now, there's a general sense of apostle in that they're leaders and they speak for Christ, but there is a very specific, these 12 were very specifically chosen for a particular mission that Jesus had for them. And that was mostly, primarily, to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That they would see his crucifixion, they would know that he died. Then they would see the empty tomb. They would meet the resurrected Christ. He would instruct and further commission them and, and then tell them, you go out into the world. Now you tell everybody that I'm alive. Okay. That was the role of these 12 apostles. They were to be witnesses of everything that was going to happen and then testify to and preach this message, the message of the resurrection to the world. Now, for whatever reason, uh, pastors sometimes say this, that the ministry would be great if it wasn't for all the people. Do you want me to say it again? It's actually funny. It's supposed to be funny. You didn't like it? I mean, it's no, there's no doubt that we're all a great challenge to one another. True? And, and sometimes you think, you think that um, the ministry would be easier if God had just kind of directly involved himself, more directly involved himself in the world just to kind of reveal himself to everyone. But the reality is that he didn't do that. So he seems fit to use people like me and people like you who are very imperfect and who are kind of a challenge to be around at times. I know I'm a challenge to be around. But he uses us. 
He uses us to accomplish his will in this world. For whatever reason, since the ascension of Christ, God has chosen to reveal himself in this world for the last 2,000 years through human beings. 2 Corinthians 5.20, jot down that reference. 2 Corinthians 5.20, it just simply says, God is making his appeal. God makes his appeal to this world through us. That is just filled, fraught with so many risks and so many problems. But he works through the prayers and through the passion and through the efforts of his people. Through us. And because of our frailties, not the least of which is our sin, by the way. Because of our frailties. God is therefore able to get the glory for everything that happens. Because none of us can claim anything for ourselves. It's the result of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's it's the result of his great work, his shedding of blood, his death, his resurrection. That's the only reason why any of us have any power to accomplish anything. It's all the result of what he did. It's his power on display in us. And that's the way he wants it. I love what the apostle Paul said about this. uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. um, We have this treasure And when he's talking about the treasure, he's talking about the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that saves us. We have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, fragile vessels, we're clay pots. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show what? That the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If anything good happens at Harvest Bible Chapel, If anything good happens in your marriage, if anything good happens in your family or in your small group or through your service, it's not because of you. None of us take the credit. None of us take the glory. It's entirely and completely of him. The power of God is in his church. It's in his followers. It's in his messengers. It's in his servants. Do you believe that? Let's firmly believe that. So three questions. Do you believe firmly in the power of prayer? Do you believe in the place of God's people in his plan? And and then this, and in the impact of Jesus' presence among us. Do you believe firmly in the power, the impact of Jesus' presence among us? I mean, lives are being changed. People are being healed. That's what was happening here in verses 17 through 19. So he comes down off the mountain. He's got his disciples, his new apostles with them. He stood on this level place. He's going to get ready to teach. That's what begins in verse 20. Is the teaching, this sermon that he's going to preach. He gets to this level place with a great crowd of his disciples, a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. They're in Galilee, the north part of of, uh, Israel. They're in the north part of it. But people were coming from Judea and and Jerusalem in the southern part. And they were coming from Tyre and Sidon, which is part of Lebanon today. So this was a non-Jewish part. So people who were Gentiles... Uh, and perhaps Jews living that region as well, uh, they were coming over to Galilee to hear him speak as well. So people coming from all over, this is high impact time. There's something powerful going on. We got to come and see it. 
They came to hear him, verse 18 says, and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits, something inside of them wasn't right. Uh, demonization was happening. They were oppressed by dark spirits. They were cured. Not troubled any longer. No more oppression over their lives. Why? All the crowd sought to touch them. They were coming. All they had to do, we see other stories like this in the gospel. They knew all they had to do was just touch him. And the power would flow out from, power came out from him and healed how many of them? All of them. Lives are being changed. Healing happening. Now note these three things as we think about the impact of Jesus' presence among us. Uh, first this, uh, we notice in these verses that he led them. He led them down off the mountain. They were following him. And the big question for us is, will you follow him? I mean, these three messages that we've started out the year with from Luke's gospel, we're in this long journey through Luke, but these first three messages kind of function like a little trilogy for us. And, and we're coming to a culmination point right now. Two weeks ago, as we looked at the conversion of Matthew, Jesus said to him, uh, Matthew, follow me. And the text tells us, leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. And some people, a couple of weeks ago, you made indication that that was uh, your thing and you wanted to start following Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some other here, others here who two, two weeks ago, you didn't make that decision, but you need to make it today. So are you following him? Jesus led them. And then notice this, uh, he taught them. And again, we're going to hear that in a bit, but, but will you hear him? Last week, he was teaching them on the Sabbath because some people were bent out of shape about the way he was treating the Sabbath day. And, and we learned that that message was a lot less about the Sabbath and a lot more about God's authority, that he actually gets to speak into our lives. And when he does, it's authoritative. It, it governs my life. It guides me. In other words, um, is he, the question we ask is, is he Lord of our lives like he's Lord of the Sabbath? Does he actually get to call the shots in my life? So question one was, are you following him? Question two is, is, is are you under his authority? Will you hear him? Is he Lord of your life or not? And then we come to this. If you're following him and you're submissive to his authority, then it just, it just follows that you're going to be experiencing his power. It, it can't not but happen. You see, he healed them. Will you experience his power in your life? Now, we start talking about healing and it makes some people crazy. Because we see crazy things around this whole idea of healing. And so a lot of us are cautious about that. So some of us don't have a clue uh, what's going on here, though we have some images in our mind of some TV programs that we've seen. Some of us are coming from church backgrounds where we are completely like at arm's length. Don't bring that near me. That is not of Jesus. And others of us in this room perhaps have come from faith traditions where that's like a big part of it. And you're praying for healing every single week. And um, I just want to say um, and be clear that we're not um, going to start smacking people on the head and carrying on like the crazy so-called faith healers that we see on TV. That's not that's not going to be our gig at all. 
That's not what we're about. Because I believe that such carrying on is presumptuous of God and is a seeking uh, to impose our will on him. It's saying, it's, it, like it's, it's saying to God, every single person that lines up and comes to the front should be healed and you ought to heal him and I'm going to smack this person on the head as evidence of my belief in that. That, that it's, it's overconfident, you know what I'm saying? It's arrogant before the Lord. So I'm, I'm not taking us there. I mean, throughout history, I want you to think about this, but throughout history, there have been times of miraculous outpourings of God's spirit in a way that there have been healings. I don't think any of us could deny that. History attests to it. The Bible attests to it. But the majority of history has not been like that. That God has worked in different ways at different seasons of history. And so we're not, we're not presuming upon God. We're not uh, taking what we see in the New Testament, what's happening here in the Gospels, and we're saying that has to happen today. We're not being presumptuous of God in that way. There have been large chunks of history where God intentionally has largely been inactive in terms of physical healings of of the nature that you would see on television with the faith healers. That God has held back from doing such things except in isolated cases. And I am not saying that we don't ask God for healing. In fact, I'm going to invite you to do that very thing in a few moments. It's not that we don't ask God for healing. It's just that we're not going to presume our will upon his. God heals at times. But I think we would all agree as we look at Luke chapter 6 that this is not our experience today. And largely because Jesus is not here on earth in bodily form today. That we should expect this kind of and he healed them all kind of thing because Jesus was right there. This is not our experience. But this lack of physical healing, it's not a lack of faith on our part. An awful thing to say to somebody. You're not healed because you don't have enough faith. This isn't happening in your church because you don't have enough faith. What an awful thing to say to somebody. To pin them down like that. To, to oppress them with such a thing. That's not what we're saying. That it's a lack of faith on our part. It's not indifference on God's part. What a horrible thing to say to God. That he's indifferent toward my plight. Why isn't he healing? God has his plan. My thing needs to be submissive to him. I'm not imposing this on him. The reality is in the New Testament that physical healing here, the great manifestations that you're seeing were part of the authentication of the gospel message itself. It was part of people uh, realizing who this actually was. This was their Messiah. He was bringing a message of hope. But Jesus consistently throughout the New Testament was saying, It's not about the healing. It's about the message. And I love in this passage that it's both. The people came to hear him and to be healed. And and to hear him was the more important part. To get the gospel message was the critical part. The greater work, in fact, would be the inner healing that he was bringing to people's lives through his words. The whole thing... 
this inner healing would happen. All of the healing would happen because of what Jesus did again. I was reminded yesterday of these verses. We were at a conference and one of the preachers used these verses from Isaiah 53, uh, 4 through 6. Just take a look at these. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Amen? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the healing that we need. I need to be healed from my sins. Every other need I have is subservient to that one need. That I would be healed. That I would find relief from my waywardness, my lostness, from the darkness. As I think about the people here this morning... Some of you are followers or disciples. Some are leaders as were the apostles. And some are part of the crowd who have not yet fully committed to all of this. And yet it seems that Jesus met the needs of all of them. He came to heal all of them. And so I want to ask you the question, what what healing do you need today? Don't, Don't think just... In a physical sense, what, what healing do you need today? You see, God has fashioned us as, as body, as soul and spirit. The soul representing the mind and the will and the emotions of each one of us. It could be that you need a healing in one part of your life, not another. Do you need physical healing? There are some here for whom that is the plea. That is the cry. You have a diagnosis. There's constant pain. There's something debilitating in your life. You'd like to be relieved of it. Then ask him. Seek him. God, is this your will for me? That I should, should continue to have this? Or, or that you would relieve me of this and be glorified in that sense. But maybe it's not physical. Because again, we are body, soul, and spirit. Maybe it's more a soul issue that needs healing. Maybe it's your mind that needs healing. Maybe there's a mental illness that grips you. And seek God for relief from that. Ask him to heal that. Plead with him. Are there memories that confuse or paralyze you? Keep you from living as God would intend you to live in victory and in joy? You can't find relief from those memories? Ask Him to heal that. Ask Him to take it from you. To remove your shame, to relieve your guilt, to take away all the fear and replace it with His love. Maybe there's an addiction that has rewired your mind. Constantly telling your body you need this. Your mind needs to be healed. Seek God to take that insatiable desire away from you. Maybe what needs to be healed is your heart. 
Maybe it's just stone cold. Hard as a rock. You are unmovable. Is it rebellion in you? I'm not following God. I'm not doing what he says. I'm not submitting to his authority. I've had enough of him. Your will is firm in resistance to God's will. Ask him to forgive you and heal you. Ask him to soften your heart. He can do that. His power is great. Maybe it's your emotions that need healing. Are they out of control? Do they consume you? Tears, anger, whatever it is. You can't bring it under control. Ask him to heal that and to grow in your capacity. To keep your emotions in check. Maybe you're here and you have no emotions. You don't feel anything. Just as much of a problem. It's not healthy. Ask God to heal you of that. Maybe you need spiritual healing. I mean, have you given your life to Jesus Christ and found the forgiveness of your sins? Are you a child of God? Tell him you believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Tell him you believe that he was raised from the dead. Tell him you want the power of God in your life and in your spirit. Tell him that. Ask him to heal you in your spirit. Do you have a relationship that's severed or strained? What needs healing is something between you and another person. He can bring healing to that. He can bring restoration and reconciliation. He can intervene. Maybe it's unforgiveness in your heart. You just can't let go of it. There's bitterness that grips you or malice toward another. Plead with him to heal you and give you grace and love so that you might be able to forgive as he forgave you. See, the impact of Jesus' presence among us is that we would be healed. That we would know his power and his glory in our lives. I just want you to sit and pray and listen. As the team just sings over for us for a moment. And then I'm going to invite you to respond in a very tangible way, very public way.
here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are and to come up here to the front. Just you and God, but to make it public. To say, I, I need healing for this in my life. Whatever that this is. For you. It could be different for a lot of people in this room. But to publicly say, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say, I need healing. And so come. You don't have to wait any longer. Just come and kneel here at the front. And while you're here, one of our leaders might come around and just pray over you. I'm not going to talk to you. Not try to find out what that thing is. But you may feel a hand on your back or on your shoulder. You may sense someone is over you just praying for you. So you come. What do you need to be healed of? What, what, what power of God needs to be unleashed in your life? Don't hesitate. Don't leave here without asking him for it. You can come. Pray now. Ask God to heal you. one wave of this if you're sitting there you're going I should have gone up you still can why don't we all stand right now we can sing through this song you can stand where you are but if you need to come come now lots of room up here lots of room in the aisles come ask God for that healing that you know you need Spirit of the 
you do what only you can do It changes us, it changes what we see And what we see You change in everything Spirit of the living God Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Father, you have heard many, many prayers uh, this morning for healing. And what's uh, reassuring to us, what gives us such great confidence in you and in your power is, God, you knew about every one of these needs already. Father, you know us better than we really know ourselves. And Father, you know the best way to answer every one of these prayers. And so, God, I pray that in your mercy you would look down and you would meet the needs that we have cried out for. Thank you for hearing us. As we've prayed in faith, believing that you're a good God, that you're filled with mercy and grace toward us, that you love us. We pray knowing that what matters in this conversation, what matters is knowing you and accepting your will for our lives. God, we thank you again for the wounds of Jesus Christ that heal. Father, that have healed the most important of all hurts, that severed relationship with you. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for your love. Thank you for receiving us as your sons and your daughters. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. If you agree with this prayer, say amen. God bless you, church. And there's still some people praying. And if you have any things that you'd like to talk about, about anything you've heard here this morning, some of our elders and their wives are going to be up here at the front, and we would love to have some time with you. Don't leave here without getting some prayer, without talking out the things that you're wondering about. My wife and I will be out at guest reception. For those who are new here this morning, we'd love to get a few minutes with you and, and meet you. Uh, on your way out uh, this morning. So God bless you. You have a great week in the Lord. You are loved. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.